Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. Well, friends, welcome back to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. We are so happy to have you here. We're testing out some new equipment. Hopefully, it sounds better for you. Thank you to my Patreon members who have made this possible and in perfecting the podcast and making it just wonderful and great and bringing on new guests. Um, we We have something amazing today. Amazing today. This is out brand new. The world is just now experiencing this. And we have with us the editor of an amazing new book. Oh my goodness, I have it here. Teachings. Teachings for an unbelieving world. Um, and guess who who wrote this one? Yep, John Paul II. And you're wondering how is that how is that even possible? He's dead. Well, that's what we are discovering today. We are speaking with Jamie Stewart Wolf. She is a Catholic convert. That's always exciting. Mother of eight grown children, wonderfully faithful wife, of course. She loves St. Francis de Sales, which we need a new podcast to talk about that because I was introduced to St. Francis de Sales when I started my master's work in theology. Really didn't know about him at all prior to introductions to a devout life. And then things took off from there. So we're going to be talking to Jamie. Jamie is an author, speaker, a musician, which is really interesting. You should actually go check out her website because I did loavesandfishesministry.net. She has some pretty neat stuff there that I actually rarely find in other sites. So you should go check it out. It's something different. It's nice. Um, and she serves as a senior editor at Ave Maria Press. I'm very good friends with Ave Maria Press. Just love everything that they put out and their good work. So I'm happy to have Jamie. Jamie, thank you so so much for being with us. Oh, I'm excited to be here, Leah. So good. Okay, so let's just dive into this. Um, what is going on? What is happening now? <laughs> like, and, what happened here? <laughs> yeah. Right. So I'm going to just allow you to explain to us what this book is, it's written by St. Pope John Paul II, or Pope right. Saint, whatever his titles are. Um, what is going on? Why do we just now have this brand new, um, th- this brand new piece of work from, from the saint? Yeah, what, I'll, tell you what was, I'll tell you what was told to me. It was found in a drawer. What? I'm not kidding. Like, you couldn't make this stuff up, right? Wait, 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 wait. Like, like a... <laughs> Right, right. A drawer, like like in the kitchen, in his bedroom. What drawer? Like probably the back that? of the sock drawer somewhere. Right. So, um, yeah, it was. That's what I was told by the um the Vatican publishing house. It was found in a drawer, and it was recently discovered. Um, and we don't actually know precisely where or when it was written, but there's kind of forensic evidence about when that was done and and where. Um, But it was first published in its original language, Polish, just in 2018, in October of 2018, was brought out in Italian version and in addition from the Vatican Publishing House uh, in Rome, just 2019. And um, we now have the book in English. And I cannot tell you, this is kind of like the stuff editorial dreams are made of, right? (laughs) I mean, it really is. It's like you have a famous, holy, 
um, popular and deceased author with an actually new work. I don't even know how that happens, but it it did. And um, and I, I frankly couldn't believe I was hearing what I was hearing when I first heard about this possibility. And, you know, that's just sort of a story in itself. You know, you, you travel around some to conferences and uh, in editorial work. And mostly, you know, the, the kind of exciting part of my job is kind of scouring around and looking for new authors, new speakers, new um, messages, you know, the gospel maybe presented in a new way, in a fresh way, fresh voices. And um, so a year ago, I was at the LA Religious Education Congress, which yep. is massive undertaking. Like if you've ever been there, 40,000 people show up. Right. Yeah. So, um, but I always, I always just try to try to foster relationships that I've built, you know, too, over, over time. And one of the things I do is I always set aside time to meet with the Vatican Publishing House. And I know in all likelihood that what they have available to be licensed for English publication, English language publication, is probably not what a lot of our readers are looking for. And it's, yeah. it's just not generally well suited. And that's fine. You know, you still shake hands and you still, well, not these days, I guess, but, you know, you still, uh, <laughs> you still get together and you still, um, you know, how are you? And, uh, you know, can I take you for a coffee? And, and, you know, and just, and just kind of cultivate those relationships within the church. Uh, you know, Holy Mother Church loves it when her, when her children kind of get along and make connections and do things together. And so um, out of respect, I made that appointment weeks in advance. And showed up on the Friday morning at the booth and talked to Fred Giulio, um, who's the director of the Vatican Publishing House. And we were going through his his catalog. And he said, oh, and we also have this. Like, by the way. Right. It wasn't, oh, I think you'll really be interested. No, it was, we also have this. And it's, you know, a newly discovered work of John Paul. And I said, wait, wait, wait. So it's not a compilation of previous works, you know, like somebody, somebody did a lot of good editorial work and got together. And now we have this new book on John Paul about the environment or about, you know, peace in the world or whatever. And we gleaned from all his writings and put that together in a, in a compelling way. That's good work. No, instead, it was this, which is a series of 13 brief teachings. And, uh. They're all an extended, they create a, an extended meditation on Acts chapter 17, which is, um, which is the, uh, the sermon of Paul at the Areopagus in Athens. So that's like a pivotal um, moment in church history. And it's a pivotal moment in the, in the book of Acts, in the Acts of the Apostles. And it's also a very, it, it looms very large on the horizon of John Paul's own view of the world. And, and uh, so that was really exciting. I mean, honestly, I think there'd probably be a, a, you know, an audience for John Paul's grocery lists um, if we had those in a drawer. Right. right. But, um, but it's so much the better that it's a book that's actually relevant to our situation today, because in this book, and it's just like I said, 13 brief teachings, and they're they're quite brief. And they read like kind of Wednesday audiences, right? They they read mm -hmm. like sermons, although we don't know who they were written for. We don't know if they were ever given. 
They were written most likely in 1966 uh, because um, he was Archbishop of Krakow at the time. Uh, and there was kind of convergence of historical events there. It was just after the Council, the Second Vatican Council closed in December of 1965. But it was also the year that Poland was observing 1,000 years of Christianity in Poland. So it was the millennium of, of Christianity in, in Poland. It was the close of the Second Vatican Council. He had been at Archbishop of Krakow for a couple of years only. And this is, but, but he quotes liberally from Vatican II documents in, in these teachings. And it's just a profoundly interesting book because he's taking a, a very long and, and deep look at Paul's homily, the only really recorded homily we have of St. Paul to the Gentiles. And it's one that most people think, you know, he was a royal flop in, you know, that it was not a successful encounter by all measurements uh, that, you know, humanity would give it. It was not a great, great encounter. You know, some some laughed at him at the end. Some um, said, oh, well, well, maybe we'll hear you about this again later. Um, and, you know, two two new Christians are named Damaris, a woman and uh you know, and and, and uh, Dionysius the Areopagite. So he wins two converts in Athens. Wow, great work. Right. right. But, you know, was it really a failure? Probably not. Probably not. And it can, and it has, the encounter has a lot to teach us. A um, lot to teach us today. Well, clearly that encounter... I absolutely agree. And clearly that encounter was speaking to John Paul II. Absolutely. At, obviously at that time for him to make such a point to write these reflections or these thoughts. And um, so he had made a pilgrimage to Athens and the Holy Land with other bishops from, from the Second Vatican Council. They went together as a group in, uh, I think, 1963. Okay. And so he had been to the, to the we know that he had been there as, as a bishop. And with other council fathers, there are photographs of him there with other people. Um, and, and we see, again, that he, he quotes from, uh, from Acts 17. He refers to this in his early pontificate and at, at late in his pontificate. We see that this just image is something he comes back to. It's so interesting because the, the chapters that are listed in this book and what they talk about, I mean, even the title, Teachings for an Unbelieving World, that this, I mean, this should have been written today, right now. Right. I mean, it is it is prophetic in how applicable what he says is here. Um, and it's, and you know, it's really hard to avoid the conclusion, and I'm not sure I want to, that this was hidden in a drawer or stashed away in a drawer specifically for now, you know, that it would come here to us in this moment, in this, um, I think when he wrote it, we would have had a hard time um, thinking of the world as post-Christian. Mm. But now, um, that's not much of a stretch for most of us. 
that, that the world culture is kind of beyond Christianity. I mean, you can't really get beyond Christ, right? But beyond kind of this cultural um, force of Christianity that uh, faith enjoyed for a long time, a very long time, especially in the Western in, in Western civilization. Absolutely. And I think that especially now, I mean, we just, because of what we have available to us in statistics and research, I mean, we are looking at the majority of Catholics over half don't believe or are confused about the real presence in the Eucharist. And this talks about the Eucharist. I mean, and that's one of the pieces, but just this, I love the first chapter is an unknown God. Right. I mean, it starts right at the heart of pretty much the entire problem of where we're at. Yeah, exactly. And he he talks about it, referencing both scripture, but also the cultural realities of his day. And for him, in a particular way, uh, you know, what communism had done to to Polish culture or attempted to do. Um, Just the suppression of all faith, of all belief in God whatsoever. And sort of this reinterpretation of the human person and a reinterpretation of human history. And he refutes all of that here, but in a way that isn't combative, in a way very much as Paul did, you know, taking advantage of those altars of unknown gods that were scattered throughout his world and his culture. And, uh, you know, he's, he's doing the same thing. He's he's basically showing us how to follow the example of St. Paul in Acts 17. But Lee, I got to tell you, right? So I'm like, I know I'm in this competitive situation about getting this book. <laughs> so I hadn't felt the real force of that competitive nature that I very much have um, for a few years, but got on, you know, adrenaline overdrive and was like emailing Italy and whatever else while I'm in, in California. And this, you know, and because you have to work fast and publishing is a lot of things, but fast is not one of them. And, um, you know, you can see that because we had the completed manuscript a year ago and, you know, it's just coming out now. That's how it works. But um, so I had to rush through a process and kind of, you know, translate from languages I don't read and, you know, and whatever else and try to get pieced together enough so that our team could see what was going on. So I emailed. the the, uh, associate at the Vatican publishing house with whom I've had a relationship somewhat, you know, a long distance uh, online (laughs) professional relationship Mm -hmm. and said, Francesca, please send me this, um, you know, whatever you can send me of this manuscript. So for some reason, I, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning uh, the last day I was there and in California and I never check email in the middle of the night ever ever, ever. It's just like it's boundary world, right? So I don't do that. But I did that day because the voice was there. Go check your email. And I'm like, all right, I'll check my email. And the manuscript was there in PDF form in Polish and Italian. And I opened up the Polish manuscript. And the first thing I just start scrolling. And, you know, I don't read Polish. But the first thing I hit was this handwritten page of the manuscript because it was in two forms. It was the handwritten and then typewritten um, in that drawer. And uh, so that handwritten manuscript page shows up on my phone screen. And I'm just, I just started to cry mm-hmm. because I felt, you know, in that moment, I felt like, Holy father, you're right here. You're right here in this 
you know, hotel room in, in Anaheim, um, and you're still speaking, and you're still moving, and you're praying, and you're teaching, and here you are. And uh, just, just that, I, and I really feel like this book will be that for a lot of people. It'll be a personal encounter. I don't know how it couldn't be. Just the very little. Now, I got this book about a day before we have or seen down here having having this podcast. But the and I I so badly want to rush through this, and I just like want to read, read, read. But I know with John Paul, you can't, you can't. I mean, and so the little that you pick up, it speaks. And I remember just looking through. I went through about my first take and opening this up, and I just cannot believe I'm holding this right. Is looking through these these chapters, an unknown God, the one who is, the human being in truth, the human being in freedom, the truth of the resurrection. I mean, it goes on. Uh, and then I go back, I turn the page to the last parts and I read the very first one is Christ reveals man to himself. That yes, I recall because I have very good professors in my master's program at the Augustine Institute, who drilled into us, Gaudi Metzfez, especially, yes, Gaudi Metzfez 22. <laughs> and we, we dived into this particular piece in, in one of the Vatican documents, which I think you were referring to as like the forensic evidence of like when this was written. So he's quoting Vatican II documents right. in here. So we know it's post that at least by a day <laughs> or so. Exactly. Exactly. We know it was after December right. of 65. And it just goes on. And of course, one of the other chapters is you will be my witnesses. And I just, so I, I picked up and I'm looking through this chapter of Christ reveals man to himself and to hear. And, and John Paul II has quoted that many times in his pontificate. He definitely did. I did a whole research on a piece on that of when he, how many times he quoted Gaudi Metzfez and how he talked about that. And he, and he very possibly right, had a hand right. in writing it. But to hear, so. to read his thoughts so soon after that document had been compiled uh, and to hear him go further into the, these pieces that I have not, I've, you know, obviously none of us have ever read. You're just like, what? This is it, right? I mean, it's, uh, I have over the past year, and there were several months I could say nothing about this, right? I was just like bubbling with, I can't believe this actually exists. I am so grateful to be a little cog in the great publisher's machine, you know, of, of bringing this to the English speaking world. And it just, just the privilege of reading him. It sounds like him, <laughs> you know, you can hear his voice in, in the pages. And that's for those of us who remember John Paul or for whom John Paul has a personal significance in our, in our lives of faith this book is an encounter with him and it's pretty much what we need to hear now. It's brief. It's encapsulated, but you know, what's, what's really interesting too, right? Historically, this is sort of like a, you can read it as a preamble of his pontificate, right? Because you see all these themes um, that he, that he spent 26 plus years 
teaching and unpacking and, and perfecting and, and just returning to, you see so many of these themes of his Matificate that he later developed more fully in this book. But then you can also look at it kind of as his last will and testament. Because we didn't have it when he wrote it. We have it now, 15 years after his death and coincidentally, right, 100 years after his birth. So this May 18th, we celebrate the centenary of John Paul's birth. And it's like, happy birthday, Holy Father. You know, you, you had a gift for us. He is always giving. Always giving. Yeah. That didn't always. stop. That never stopped. Never. So let me, I want to wrap my head around exactly your role in this. So you find this, were you translating Italian into English or Polish into English and tell me how that worked. Like what, what were you doing with that? So, so my job is to create books, right? Not necessarily to translate them, but yes, to edit them. So we hired a professional translator to translate, um, you know, so that's professionally done by someone who has a theological background as well. So that's all good. But, um, but then it's a question of, you know, what, when does this come out? What format is it going to be in? And, you know, is it going to be our publishing house or is someone else going to scoop it ahead of us? You know, that's a whole other thing. Um, and then, you know, bringing together those different pieces. So for me, it was very important to have some in some form that handwritten page that I saw and experienced. And so you'll see in this book, all the, the little chapter uh, heading pages are surrounded by handwritten text, and that's an image of this page. So I had to get rights to use an image of that page. Mm-hmm. I had to get rights to use an image of that page, and then, um, and then you know, getting together people who could maybe contribute to the to the book by their expertise. So getting a foreword by George Weigel, getting an introduction by Dr. Scott Hahn. Uh, so that we have kind of the scriptural context for all of this. And and his his introduction is actually pretty startling and well worth the read. Um, because he tells, uh, Dr. Han tells a lot of information, gives a, a tremendous amount of, of background to Act 17 that you really don't read anywhere else. Um, and then uh, George Weigel, you know, um, the definitive biographer of John Paul, who knew him, who you know, who could read this book in a, in a way that no one else could read this book. So, um, and then, you know, doing things like incorporating, we have curator's notes at the back. That was in the, um, both the Polish and Italian versions, um, because it was, uh, you know, a woman, Dr. Marta Berghardt, uh, is the curator of the document, and she's the one who kind of did the forensic of some of this and you know notes that the watermark on the notes the watermark on the paper that it was written on that it um you know indicates the likelihood that he wrote it in italy uh probably in rome um but also looking at you know when were these documents being quoted uh that he probably was quoting them by heart because in the in the handwritten document you have um you know quotes that maybe aren't exactly quite right, a word is a little bit wrong, or the word order is switched around. And then it's corrected in the typewritten document uh, that was along with the handwritten manuscript. So it's, you know, things like that. Um, it's just very fascinating. 
It really is. I love the fact of what you've done to put, like you said, to put everything together. It's a very, uh, I don't think it does it justice. I was going to say easy read because, but uh, mm-hmm. the flow is easy. Right. It's, it's not, it, these are not, um, John Paul has very philosophical works, you know, pick up fetus at ratio and be prepared for a lot of plowing and a lot of difficult passages and you reading the page and say, what did I just read and go back and, you know, and all that. This is not like that. This is very much, uh, it seems written for a more, um, you know, common audience, a, a regular group of Catholics or someone who might, you know, students or who knows, we don't really know, but, and we don't know if anyone ever heard these teachings, but we do know that, they're still relevant and they're timeless and that the depth with which he takes up these various themes is um, actually pretty astonishing for something this brief. I, I completely agree. It, it, it's an easy read in yeah. digesting John Paul II, which is all, can, can be a task at times, as, as, as you've mentioned. Oh, yeah. I know that from my studies as well. Uh, Love and Responsibility was one I had to read three times over, Honest to God. And I'm like, Finally, I think I may understand because the way John Paul usually right. writes is very long and rhythmic and there can be, you can go an entire page and you realize he's just used commas and there's no period. It's just this one long sentence. Right. He's, he, he can be a very academic writer and he's very philosophical and he's systematic, right? So he, he doesn't skip steps. You know, it's not like where you hand in the math paper and you don't show your work. He always shows the work. And so it's step by step, very systematic. And sometimes that can be a little overwhelming and maybe sometimes even more than a little. Um, He's not an easy read usually, but this is a very accessible. Um, And it gives you a window into using Acts 17 really kind of gives you a lens through which to see everything else. And that that creates. that creates something that's just an amazing thing here. And it, it has the rhythm of a spoken word, I feel. Um, you know, he keeps coming back, he, different catechesis he comes back to, you know, this this that you have worshipped without knowing, this is what I proclaim to you. This God that you do not know, this is what I proclaim to you. And you're like, yeah, you're doing it right here, Holy Father. You're doing it right here. You're proclaiming to me the God that I don't fully know. Um, perhaps in some ways, or the God I've forgotten, or the God I ignore, or the God I have no time for. Um, it's it's very powerful. It is, and even how like how you summarize that is very very powerful. Uh, the unknown God. There's always a piece of obviously a practical piece of the unknown God in all of us this side of heaven, of course. But there's more than that within us. There's the unknown God that we choose to not know because we don't want to maybe fully know ourselves and we don't want to experience mm-hmm. the reality of what awaits us if we embrace the fullness of how we can um, this side of heaven of our faith and of the person of Jesus Christ. Now, and, and and like I said, it's extremely accessible. That's a much better word. Thank you for that, Jamie. But it's it's so deep. It's 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 not right. it's not surface of like oh that's nice. You you can read this easily and go back and reread it easily, more accessible. But you're still diving into something that's going to carry you through for the rest of your life of meditation. Right. 
Right, exactly. And and actually, we've um, we're putting out a study guide along with it as well. That'll be a, that'll be um, online, and you know you can just download the PDF, and it's suitable for groups or individuals or you know whatever, however you want to use it. Just questions that will help you read more deeply, and help you read more personally. I think that's a lot of it too. You know, I, anyone who ever heard John Paul preach knows that when he opened his mouth to a crowd of people, that crowd disappeared. You were the only one there. And everybody felt that way. They felt as if to experience him in a crowd was to experience him as if he was standing right in front of you and there was no nothing between you. That he was speaking directly to you. And everyone had that experience. It was an amazing gift, uh, not one that you can cultivate or try for or learn. It just was. It was the Holy Spirit using what he said and what he was to reach out to people just exactly where they were. Hey, this message is for my ladies. Ladies, listen, if you are looking for some accountability in your prayer life, if you feel or you might be alone. Uh, you feel like you're alone in your faith life. Maybe there's not a lot of people who support you or are around you, um, or you're just not connected to them, or <laughs> sometimes it's just struggling uh, to reach out. Um, or, 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 or maybe it's just the fact that you want to know your faith better. You really want to go deeper, but you feel overwhelmed with all the amount of uh, possibilities and ways to do that, or you want to go to grad school, but you also really don't want the price tag that's associated with that, or the homework, um, or the intensity maybe, and you're looking for practical and pastoral theology. I have an answer for you. We just created the very first Catholic app for Catholic women. Super excited about this. This is the Lux app, L-U-X. Lux is Latin for light, and we truly believe that we are called to be lights and called to be leaders um, for ourselves, for our families, for our church, and for the world. So I want to invite you to join this amazing network of women. It is so much more than an app. I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of all of the work that we have done to create this app, but, and it's mobile friendly. It's also desktop friendly, but it's really, truly about a network. There are three main components really quickly. I just wanted to share with you so that you know about it and you can share it with others. We have the prayer department and in prayer, we offer live weekly prayer, rosary, divine mercy, chaplet. We also offer live Sunday Gospel Reflections by Father Michael O'Loughlin, who is our Lux chaplain, and he often, very often, goes in and even offers live evening prayer. So you you always get a notification on your phone whenever he goes live if you want to pray with him, but it's really beautiful about what he does. Um, he's there for us every single week, guiding us through the gospel and giving us a challenge to take with us throughout the week. I love the prayer department inside the app. It is absolutely my favorite piece, I think. Um, and then we have the community piece. And a lot of people kind of like gloss over or when they offer something, they always say community, but they really don't mean it. We mean it. We we sincerely mean it. This is one, this is the best 
tech tool I have ever used to really connect me with other Catholic women um, in a way that you're off social media, so you don't have to worry about all of that. There's no trolls. And you really are in this intimate place with other Catholic women. And you can actually find out and see where they are around you and near you, like in your city, or even when you travel, you'll be able to find out where the other Lux ladies are. And if you wanted to, you could reach out and say hello. You could connect. You could maybe arrange a time to like go grab coffee whatever you want or maybe you just want to stay back and just you know chat in the chat boxes from afar either way you will definitely know that you're not alone anymore in your faith and then the third main compartment our main department that we offer inside the lux network is formation and that is lux university where we offer practical and pastoral uh, theology courses for you to know your faith better. Uh, it's amazing. It is ever evolving. We are constantly adding new courses to the LuxU platform. So you're never going to get in there and then like that's all we're ever going to have. We film new courses about once a month. So we are churning out new stuff constantly and we're always asking you about what you want. Like what's a co- what's what topic do you want covered? And so it's community sourced uh, content that we're putting out. It's really beautiful. We're faithful to the church teachings. We are just courageously Catholic in our faith and, and in our movement towards being leaders and lights in the world. And we want you to join us. So make sure you go to theluxuniversity.com, get the information, choose your plan and download the app there. Quick note, quick note for all of my Apple iPhone users, you want to make sure you go to theluxuniversity.com to choose your plan and get the app. Don't go to the app store because Apple charges 30% more and we have no say so in that. They do that. Um, We cannot issue cancellations or refunds or anything because that's all on Apple. So we have warnings everywhere. This is your warning. If you want to be a part of the Lux Network, go ahead and go to theluxuniversity.com. It's available for anyone, international, Android, Apple, you name it. You are welcome here. I cannot wait to see you inside the Lux app. You know, Jamie, in talking about that piece right there, that gift that John Paul II had of reaching into the individual person and speaking to them, regardless of their surroundings or crowd, uh, what and that and that this internal and personal piece of evangelization. What do you think, what is your opinion? I mean, after compiling this and reading every single word and seeing those manuscripts of his handwriting, I just, I, I, I keep wanting to go back to the practicals of that and I will maybe in a minute, but I also want to ask you this, like, how do you see this um, with evangelization today or the obstacles? How, how does this answer the obstacles that we face in evangelization today? Because I am very interested in your answer as somebody who is, is helping in that piece in my particular way. And the way God has given me is like, how do we use this to, to, to be better? Because there are so many obstacles that we create or that the world now has, um, available to us. Right. I mean, I, I, and that's true. I think we've spent several decades, a couple of decades anyway, as Catholic Christians kind of struggling to define what is evangelization and new evangelization and old evangelization. And we talk about the obstacles we face and the methods we use. 
And all of that focuses on us. This book really examines the audience. Who are we speaking to? And not what are the obstacles that we encounter in sharing the gospel, but what are the obstacles that they encounter in receiving and accepting it? And I think that's what this book does. And once we flip that switch, once we stop navel gazing a little bit and start really giving ourselves as gift to the people who don't yet believe or used to believe or don't want to believe or are afraid to believe, then maybe our successes and failures will be a little bit different and we'll see them differently. You know, he, he looks at Acts 17 not as a failure. I mean, in a way it was. We never see Paul writing a letter to the Athenians. We don't have a book called The Letter to the Athenians. There was no vibrant church there. But what Paul did on that hill is a pattern for the rest of us. And uh, it's, it's, it's a pioneering in enculturation. It's, uh, but not enculturation without purification, right? We need to understand that enculturation means purifying the culture through the gospel. The gospel is purifying culture. Not that it accepts everything about culture, right? But that we begin to kind of hash that out and that, that it becomes the, the filter, the sieve, the, the measuring stick, if you will. But also that there are indications because they're written in the human person there are indications that we are all seeking god whether we know it or not that there is this unknown god whom people still in one way or another kind of worship whether they know that that's what they're doing or not and so it's um it's something very powerful to to uh, kind of put yourself in that place right that's one thing. I would say that's one thing um, that he teaches us to recognize the seeds of the word, right? The semina verbi, the seeds of the word of faith in the world around us. And there are seeds of the world of the word in the world around us, despite its craziness. But he also makes this very important point. He says in this book that the reason the Athenians could not accept Paul's gospel had more to do with anthropology than it did with theology. We talk about God, the creator, God, the redeemer, the lover, and, you know, God who, who uh, is love. We can understand that to a point. But once we have a very distorted view of the human person, the incarnation becomes inscrutable. And the Paschal mystery becomes something we cannot access or understand. And so he talks about anthropology here. And I, I really believe this is why we saw so much about the dignity of the human person in the pontificate of John Paul. We saw so much, um, you know, that personalism and, and all of that being brought into um, the philosophic stance of the church to 
deal with experience and personal individual reality and, and all of that. Um, because it's that's the stumbling block that we encounter. That's really the stumbling block we encounter when we try to share the gospel. It's all about how we see humanity. And yet, right, Gaudium at Space 22, we can't really see the truth of humanity unless we're looking to Christ. It's Christ who reveals the truth of the human person. And so it's kind of this, this cycle, right? So we've got to look for ways in which we can affirm the image of God in the human person. And then let that image lead us to the one who is. That makes total sense to me. And I've been extremely blessed to have been received some great instruction by some of my professors um, at the Augustine Institute about John Paul II and his, his um, emphasis and his study in anthropology and all of that, of bringing that into his theology. And so this, and he talks about it, you know, regardless if we want to pay attention or not, but he talks about that with the study of, um, or, uh, uh, modern man mm -hmm. and meeting modern man where he's at. And that just kind of goes back to like trying to, to, like you said, flip the switch and look at who's receiving this message. And um, I don't know who said it. Somebody had said it to me probably in one of my classes about John Paul II and how he engaged with the world um, and the problems that he had, he, he saw was that sometimes we're giving the church, sometimes we're giving answers to people, but they're not even asking those questions. Exactly. We're great at giving answers to questions that nobody is asking. Right. right. And so when you address the heart of man and who man is, like, what does it mean to be human? Um, you're getting at a level that everybody will connect on because they're human. Right. And so it's, I love the fact that John Paul has always and then continues to do into this in this path and then shows us that this is not just a John Paul thing. This is a God thing, a Jesus Christ thing. I mean, Paul talks about this. This is what Paul is using and doing when he's talking to the Greeks here is reaching out to those people where they're at and what they're going through to bring them into the body of Christ. Right. And he's speaking uh, to their human identi identity the way they see it. You know, the way they see it. I mean, the, 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 the phrase from that Acts 17 that we hear in a lot of liturgies, actually, is and it's quoted everywhere, right? The God in whom we live and move and have our being. That comes from Acts 17. That's a quote of a pagan Greek poet. Hmm. So we attribute that to Paul, but he's actually, he borrowed it from somebody else, you know, from Epimenides. And so you get, you get this whole kind of story. Um, of identity and who we are and, and who saves us and why we need saving. And, you know, it's, it's a very fascinating, it's a very fascinating convergence of things, but that's what we need to look for points of convergence, right? Convergence. And we're very good at showing points of differences. No world. We don't believe this. We believe that that may or may not be very helpful. Right. Especially where we're at now. Yeah. Yeah, where we're at now. That was probably helpful and, and is helpful at certain times in someone's life and mm -hmm. certain seasons. Absolutely it has a place. Right. But yeah, where we're where we're at now is we are we are almost back to square one where we're questioning what it is to be human or female or male. Exactly. I mean, we don't even know that anymore. 
I mean, you know, right here in a, in a, you know, in a maternity, you know, delivery OBGYN unit, and I don't know, nobody says anything, you know, it's a person, it's a baby, right? you know, um, so it's, it's beyond pink and blue, but it's, it's, that's only part of it. That's just a, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg about how, how little we know ourselves anymore. And, and that's, in fact, I mean, the beginning of philosophy is what Socrates going to the going to, uh, you know, the, the Delphic Oracle and the, and the Oracle's motto was know yourself. And how are we to know ourselves? How are we to get past that kind of, you know, adolescent role confusion that goes on when we don't know ourselves and when we cannot know ourselves because we refuse to look at the one in whose image we were created? So beautifully said, Jamie. I love it. Now, Okay, I have a couple more questions. I have a couple more questions before we wrap up. One, with all of your experience and your background in doing this work, when you were reading these words from John Paul II, and uh, I just get goosebumps thinking about looking at those manuscripts. I just can't, I can't imagine (laughs) that moment, that gift that God gave you to look down upon this piece. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm just, I'm just in awe and just very humbled by the whole thing. Because I, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm nothing in this process, but somebody like me needed to be in this process or it doesn't happen. So I'm just really super grateful that I got to be that person, you know, but, but yeah, you read these, we read these words and I was reading, you know, I had to edit the translations and I'd be like, no, that doesn't sound quite right. Let me go to the Polish. Let me look at, you know, I know a little bit of Slavic languages or whatever, and just kind of go, go through and kind of piece together. No, that really is this, not that. Okay. And then it has to sound like him, right? It has to sound like him. Um, and so, yeah. When you were going through those pieces, what, like, was there something, like, do you have a favorite part? Do you have a favorite chapter? Do you have a favorite moment when you read something and for whatever reason, it stopped you in your tracks and doing your job and putting this together? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I really love the first couple of chapters because they talk about the unknown God and they talk about these, these altars and they talk about knowing, you know, what was, what was it? But I also like this one quote where he has something about, something about, um, it was hard to see in Athens that day. It was hard to see the, what the ultimate, um, what would happen ultimately with this so-called failed encounter. That there would be a time when not just Greece, but all of Europe, would be Christian, would be, would know salvation in Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul walked away from that mountain, not very well loved, not applauded, not, um, not sought after. And yet it's, it's that small piece. It's, it's one more piece in kind of what it took to bring the gospel to, to the entire world into the corners of the earth and we're still doing that you know what we discover is that the corners of the earth that might we we think are the farthest are really not the ones that are the farthest the corners of the earth are the farthest are the ones that are inside our own hearts you know that that the gospel would spread to every aspect of how we live the faith so it's yeah i mean i i it's it was definitely a powerful read. I would sit and edit one chapter and then like just I had to do other things. I just couldn't I couldn't like just stack up a whole block of time and get through this. There's no getting through it. It's it's something you approach prayerfully. 
it's something that you let it's it, it's a dialogue it's much more of a dialogue than just a read I think that's excellent advice for us who consume it and read it, that this is not a, um, you're going to sit down and go through the whole thing, you know, in a couple hours. I mean, you could. You can, but it won't be the last time. Right. Isn't that the case always? And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It's like, yeah, read it quick. Fine. If you have to get to the end, that's fine. But then go back, go back. Because I don't know how any one of us, and I, I guess I just, I'll just speak to my, I'll just speak for myself, which is always best. Um, I don't know how I could even possibly just rush through an unknown God and be like, okay, great. Got it. And I'm going to move on to the next piece. Like if I don't go back to the chapter yeah. or go back to yeah. the meditations of an unknown God more than once, then I, I, you know, I need a little help. That's all. It's just nice to be able to go back and through this. Okay, so let me ask you this. Talking about John Paul II, and I want you to give a challenge for our listeners before we wrap up. But I, I also just want, I would love to know from you, because we're talking about John Paul II, um, you know, what are some of your favorite memories from him? Like, regardless of this book, or maybe it is this one, but like, do you have something, a moment, a JP2 moment that I would just love to hear? Okay. Absolutely. So I was a freshman in college. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, but went to Boston area to uh, to go to school. I'd been at college for something like two or three weeks and heard that the Pope was coming to Boston Common. And I was an evangelical Protestant. I had a Catholic roommate and I had a, another Protestant roommate, kind of a mainline Protestant roommate. The two Protestants went and the Catholics stayed home. We went to see the Pope. We made a giant sign that said Protestants for the Pope. And listened to John Paul on Boston Common at Mass in pouring icy rain. That was so horrible. And the wind was blowing. And it was kind of storm that like umbrellas turn inside out. And there's just and people are wearing garbage bags because that's all you can do. But no one left. And I honestly cannot tell you what he said. I mean, I can go back and read the transcript. I'm like, oh, he said that. (laughs) But I remember how I felt. And I wasn't part of the church, had no intention of being part of the church. I was very happy as an evangelical Protestant. And thank you. But what I saw there was a testimony to Eucharist. Because all these thousands of people were not going to receive Eucharist from the Pope. That was not going to happen. But an army of priests came out and distributed communion. They had mud up to their knees on their albs. And people lined up. And I remember thinking, they're not doing this for a cracker. It was a great witness of what the body of Christ was gathered on that very rainy, horrible day. So we we eventually went back to our dorm rooms, walked up the three flights of stairs to the fourth floors and directly into the showers because we were soaked anyway. It was like better hot soak than cold soak. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and three years later, I was I was coming into RCIA. Wow. But, you know. 
John Paul has that. He's he speaks in the spirit and you hear him. You do. You do. There's just every story I hear of other people and their lives encountering this person. It brings me to tears. You just because you connect on something deeper than John Paul. Totally. It's clearly like you said, Eucharistic based. It's in the, he somehow allowed Christ to be seen so clearly in him that you're looking through him to Christ and you feel loved and heard by Christ. He made the mystery of Jesus Christ visible and audible and touchable and smellable. You just, you felt the presence of Christ and you didn't have to be very close to him at all. You could be in a crowd of thousands of people drenched in rain with a wet, soggy sign and uh, watching people line up for something that wasn't what you thought it was. Mm. And they, mm. they knew something you didn't know. And they were part of something greater than you had ever imagined. And that's, I think, what he, what he, his gift was. He was able not just to be a, a father for the world, right? He was really a shepherd for the world, whether you were Christian, Catholic or not. But he, um, he had a way of putting each person in touch with the mystery of God, uh, just personally, very personally. Yeah, that's usually how it works, person to person. Right? And he was able to do that person to person without ever shaking your hand. I mean, that, that what, that's right. what's amazing is that it's person to person. And John Paul II, God gave him such a gift to do this to massive crowds of people all at the same time. Yes. To encounter this. I mean, what a gift of the spirit. And he used it so beautifully. Well, he allowed himself to be used yeah. completely. You know, no holds barred, no, no, um, nothing held in reserve. And so when we look at total gift, when we look at gift of self, a sincere gift of self, right? Um, he showed us what that looked like. Amen. Okay, Jamie, I am so excited for everybody to get this, to get this book. We'll have the link uh, for your book. Um, again, Ave Maria Press, uh, praise be to God for y'all. Oh yeah, and your challenge. And we have our challenge and we have our challenge to so make sure you get the book. We'll have the link in there. Um, but before we leave, a couple things. We need a challenge from you. Tell us what we can do. Read Acts 17. <laughs> so simple. Right? And we need it. Read Acts 17. But then ask the Holy Spirit to show you altars to unknown gods in your world. Altars to the unknown God in your world. Yeah. Because they're there. Absolutely, they're there. And we need that. I love that. Again, we're going to make sure that the challenge is also written out for you in the podcast notes because that is something um, that you want to sit and look at that challenge too. I mean, it, it's a heavy challenge, it, but it's needed. We we need to do this. Read Acts 17. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you an altar to an unknown God in your, in your everyday world, in your heart, in your life um, that we need to release and and, and give proper... Uh, space and primacy to God. Uh, Jamie, you're amazing. I'm so thankful for you. Thanks for 
It's so great to, to spend this time with you. It's been really, really wonderful. I have loved this. This has been so good. Before we wrap up um, this podcast, I want, also want to make sure that I give a couple shout outs to two new Patreon members that we have. So thankful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you are one of my Patreon members, thank you for supporting this podcast. It means the world to us because this podcast can't go on without that help. Truly, that's that's absolutely the case. Um, all the time, the energy, the editing, the technology we're trying, like, like I said in the beginning, we're trying out this new piece of technology to bring you better quality. So hopefully that is working. And um, that's all because of you, because of your support to, to do this. So two new podcast shout outs to Laura, Laura, we don't know where you're at. You're from the unknown space of the internet world. So, but thank you, Laura, for being a podcast member. And then also from Sheena, which Sheena, am I, am I saying that right? I don't know. Shauna, Sheena, but Sheena from Colorado. I love you. And thank you for forgiving me for butchering your name in some form or process. So that's just what I do. I try my best and I do it, you know, in the public square. So I usually fall on my face too many times to count. But that's what we got. Again, thank you so much for being uh, a listener of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. Again, if you love the podcast, if you've enjoyed, especially this, how could you not enjoy this? I mean, episode, come on. This is pretty neat that we get to bring you into this amazing sphere of uh, the teachings of an unbelieving world. John Paul II's um, newest, latest, hidden manuscript in a drawer in a drawer that they found that they have just now put out. Thank you, Ave Maria Press, for that. Um, and then make sure you go ahead and give us a rating on iTunes. I know some of those things, when I mentioned them, I know it kind of sounds silly to do that, but this is the world we live in. And this doing that allows the podcast to be seen by more people, heard by more people, and more people, person to person, come to know the face of Jesus Christ, which is what this podcast is about, is about showing you that the world is not all bad that there's beauty in the world and we are called to do something beautiful for the Lord. So that helps us. Me asking you to do this is not just some personal plea because I want the podcast up there. I just want more people to hear about it. And hopefully you do too, because you are listening to it. And remember, whatever you do today, outside of that challenge of reading Acts 17, but whatever you do today, do something beautiful for God. God love you. God bless. And I'll talk to you later. Okay. 